Peace, and we've got a lot of scripture to cover tonight, but really uh, for our text passage, we'll look at this particular passage. Uh, we're we're going to be talking tonight, uh, and I'm quite sure we won't finish it tonight, but uh, mercy for my enemies. We've been talking about David's journey through the Psalms, and this one is uh, it's amazing uh, because you have two separate uh, episodes here in chapter 24 and then in chapter 26, and David uh, has two opportunities to uh, remove the threat of Saul from his life, but he doesn't. And so uh, let's, let's uh, look, if you would, with me. I'll read as we uh, look at the first seven verses, and that's what we'll look at on those slides, fellas. Chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, <coughs> verses 1 <coughs> through 7, please. <coughs> and it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. Now, remember, we just left David when he was with his rough crew, those that were in debt and distress. Do you remember how many there were? 400. Okay, so think of the odds. Do the math. 3,000 coming against 400. So that's what David is facing. Now, let's look a little further. Verse 3. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave. And Saul went in to cover his feet, and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. You, you ever read this passage? Do you, do you, are you picturing this? Like here they are, they're coming in, they're, they're going to crash for the night, you know. Nobody left the light on at Motel 6. And so here's Saul. Now typically in this case, only the leaders in the military would have, would have gone into the cave to rest. Most of the soldiers would have stayed out for safety and protection. They'd have kind of had the lookout and so forth. And so they would have been on the outside of the cave. So here comes Saul. And there's 400 dudes in here. All right? I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm just, my, my, does anybody else ever read the Bible like that? And you're, you're just kind of picturing this scene. And so here they are. And all of a sudden they hear this ruckus outside the cave opening. They're in there. And, you know, it's telling 400 guys, be quiet. You know, shh, don't sneeze. Don't talk about the, you know, Seahawks, you know, whatever they're saying. Okay. I mean, they're just right here. And in comes Saul. By the way, it's miraculous because we know that God uh, intervened here. But nonetheless, I just find all this kind of fascinating. And <clears throat> the, the Bible reads in verse number four, And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, <coughs> seeing he is of the, the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words, and suffered them not to rise against Saul, but Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. All that's happening. These guys are saying, kill him. You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's really amazing. You know, let, this is exact. I'm sure they weren't saying, Psst, God, God said this would happen. I, I, I guarantee you. And all of this is happening, and yet Saul is in a deep sleep. And, and his men who are who are given the responsibility to watch over and to look out for him. And here's David and these guys. They're just having their conversation. Hey, go ahead, kill him, man. Here he is. God's delivered him. Right there he is. And it gets even more heated in chapter 26 
one of his men says, let me at him. I'll smite him once. I won't, I'll do it so good the first time. I won't, I'm paraphrasing here. I won't have to do it twice, man. Just let me have one shot. But David refuses to. And so with the Lord's help tonight, uh, we, we want to speak on that thought, mercy for my enemy. And uh, let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help tonight. We pray that you would indeed direct our words and thoughts and guide in this uh, lesson tonight. Speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, uh, to be challenged and corrected if needed. But God, would you accomplish your will? We I think it's verse 6. I'm going to throw these up here. Um, verse 7. There we go. So David and Abishai. Abishai, you got to like, like Abishai. Abishai came to the people by night. Behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench. Now, they're not in the caves now. They're out in the hill, hillside. Those of you that went with us to Israel, we were actually very close to this exact spot and uh, uh, where this would have happened, both the caves and then also, how many, how many remember that you went with us and you remember the, the caves that we went to see and then you saw the rolling hills off in the background? Okay, that's, that's probably very close in proximity to where this was. David and Abishai came to the people by night. Behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. This is his favorite one that he keeps at dinner. But Abner and the people, man, tough crowd, and the people lay round about him. Now notice verse number eight and nine. Then said Abishai to David, now notice, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. David said to Abishai, notice this, destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. Now here's what's happening. Saul basically negotiated with David and said, listen, I'll stop chasing you. I'll leave you alone. Are we going to be good? You won't blot out my children's name forever and all that. David said, it's all good. And so uh, Saul went back to the, to the kingdom, uh, to the city, and to his life as king, and David continued to hide out. It's not too long later, Saul comes back again. By the way, that's one thing about jealousy and anger, is it's, unless the Lord gives you victory over it, it's tough to kill. It just continued to stick its ugly head up in Saul's life. The Bible talks about that evil spirit that Saul had. Man, he was plagued with it. And I say that for another day. So now here's the second time David has the opportunity to take him out. And uh, that's the original Hebrew terminology, take him out. Um, But he does not do it even again the second time, saying that last for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. So he refuses to do. Now, uh, notice uh, verse 10 and 11. <laughs> David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed, but I pray thee, take now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let us go. Now, same thing happens here. But notice that first part in verse number 10. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, and he throws out several options, he said, in essence... God's got this. God's got my problem. He's got my enemies. And the battle is the Lord's, even if it's vengeance. Do you realize that when you try to take revenge and, uh, on something or someone and you feel you've been wronged or wounded, well, I, I, just see, I want so, so-and-so to get what's coming to them. I want them to have their just due. When you store that up into your own heart, you're robbing from God. 
Because David recognizes that's not my place, that's God's place. Yes, but I was hurt. Yes, but I was wrong. Yes, but this person did this. Yes, but this person did... No argument there. By the way, David's got a pretty good case to take the guy's life. Not only, and I know we've said it a couple times, but throwing the spear at him multiple occasions, coming after him, trying to seek him with an army to destroy him, even though he was the seed. He was going to become the king. We understand that about David, but Saul still wanted to wipe him out. God already told him, I'm taking the kingdom from you, and he went around trying to do his thing. But David, he didn't behave the same way. In fact, he returned good unto his enemy rather than evil. And so he said, as the Lord liveth, God's going to kill him, or his days shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. In other words, not my problem. When you're wronged, when you're wounded, when you're hurt, when you're mistreated, when you're maligned, when (coughs) someone speaks evil of you or any of those kind of things happen, do you and I have the character to step back and say, hey, listen, I'm not worried about him having his day of justice or his day when his comeuppance is coming. My concern is knowing that I behave right. That's what David said. Now, by the way, David said he was a man after God's... The Bible says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. God chose him. Maybe this is one of the reasons. He didn't rob from God, not just in tithes and offerings, but he knew Saul was going to die, but not at me, not at my hand. He is going to pay, but I'm not going to be the one collecting the debt. And I don't want to be standing... In fact, you remember this, and we'll get to this down the road, but do you remember David's reaction when Saul died? How many of you remember that? He went into deep mourning over a guy who was trying to kill him. It didn't make sense to people. In fact, that's, that's the reason why the Amalekite thought he was bringing good news. Man, I got good news, you know. He, he was there, I killed him, you know, and I got, I, I got good news about David. And he said, yeah, that's not good news, man. And we, we know, of course, there what happened. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at uh, Psalm 57. There are three psalms that were written right in parallel with those two stories, David running when he was in the cave and then still staying away from Saul and away from Jerusalem, away from the city. And so now we find uh, Psalm 57, Psalm 63, and Psalm 108, and we're only going to cover a little bit from each of those, but I want to look at these first few verses, Psalm 57, if you join me there, and I do have those on the screen. I think we'll cover at least the first seven. To the chief musician, that guy, of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave, be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. Now, notice what he's asking for. He's asking for mercy. Be merciful unto me, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee, yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. Until these calamities be overpassed, I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth, what is he saying here? Unto God that performeth all things for me. Notice verse 3. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. You see the setting now, this is all making sense as you're reading this. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. David said, I'm in a tough spot, but I'm trusting the right one. That's important to understand. So here's what I want us to to get from this, a thought. 
mercy for my enemy. The first thing, um, and here's our, our opening slide, David's journey through the Psalms, mercy for my enemy. The first thing I want us to notice is David understood mercy. He understood mercy. Because we find in, in Psalm 57, he's asking God for mercy. Then let's fast forward long after Saul is gone. David, uh, you remember David's episode of sin, right? You know the story. Bathsheba, Uriah, all of that, right? Everybody, everybody, everybody with me? Yes? Okay. Come on, class. You've got to pay attention or we're going we're gonna to review again. Okay? We'll be here all night. Okay? So stay with me. All right? So here he is. Uh, David commits adultery with Bathsheba, covers it up, gets your, uh, has Uriah killed. We know all that story. And then they, the, uh, the man of God comes and tells, tells David, thou art the man, right? You're all familiar with that. Okay. So that happens, and David says, boy, he, he tells him a story about the rich man with all of his livestock and many, many lambs and all of that, but he goes down to the poor guy down the road and he takes his one little lamb that was like a member of the family, okay? And he takes that one and gives it to a guest that comes unto him. David says, that got to be killed, right? He just, he just goes ballistic. And the man of God says to him, you're the man. Not in a good way. You know, sometimes you say, you're the man. This is not in a good way. He says, thou art the man. And then David's heart is smitten, but never quite like it becomes later. Because David didn't understand that, I don't think at that point, he had come to grips with the depth of his sin. Remember, his natural inclination was to cover it up. You know, he gets gets Uriah drunk, and and, uh, that doesn't work, and then he has him put to death in battle. And so, but now, fast forward... And he, he's, he's paying for his sin. Uh, Nathan the prophet tells him what's going to happen to you. And then 20 years later, there's an incident that happens right near the end of David's life. And he numbers the people. But at this point, David's heart is so different. In fact, he views this sin, he, he acknowledges that he has sinned grievously against God. And he says more about the numbering of the people than he ever did about the sin with Bathsheba or what he did with Uriah. And I think one of the reasons was his attitude and his heart towards sin had changed greatly. But notice this, uh, and I think I, I think I have it here. Yes, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 14. His sin now is not Bathsheba, Uriah. His sin is numbering the people. 20 years later, David said unto Gad, I'm in a great strait. Let us, let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Let me fall into the hand of man. So what David is, is understanding, somebody's going to pay for his sin and numbering the people. And God gives him multiple options here. And what he says here is, I want to fall into God's hands because his mercies are great. So I, I say all that to, to get to the first point, and that is this. David understood mercy. And I want to give you several things about this just very quickly. You see... This is decades after his episode with Saul, so he saw how God had been merciful to him in the time of his life being spared, in the time of everybody against him, outnumbered 3,000 to 400. Everything could have gone way bad in that moment, but he experienced God's mercy. He never forgot it. He never got over it. And the moment trouble came again, he said, give me mercy. 
Now, the Bible says it is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions, they fail not. The Bible tells us that His mercies are new every morning. One thing that you should always understand as a child of God is mercy. Why? Because you've been given it. Now, why is that significant? Because before you can ever extend it to someone else, you have to understand what it truly means to you. You see, because what could, listen, listen, think about it for a moment. What could God have done over Bathsheba and Uriah? I mean, really? I mean, he said, not only was it the sin, but he said, you've given occasion for the enemies of God to blaspheme me. That's what the prophet Nathan told him. He said, not only have you done this, you thought you did it in secret. And I'm paraphrasing here. But for those of you that are familiar with the story, you understand. He said, you thought you did this in in secret and in a dark, hidden place. He said, but I got news for you. He said, everybody knows. And he said, because of that, you've caused God's enemies to mock and ridicule him. David takes a step back and he realizes, what's God going to do? How's he going to handle? How's he going to respond? Because the fact of the matter, for each and every one of us, every sin we've ever done is deserving of death and hell. Sometimes we try to measure and quantify things and say, well, this person did this, that's far worse than this. And I understand, humanly speaking, we, we would say that about, about, you know, somebody tells a lie or somebody takes another person's life. We, we don't equate those the same, and I'm not saying necessarily that God does either. So don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I will say that to God, all sin is exceedingly sinful. The Bible says that if you, if you violate or break one commandment, you're guilty of them all. So God looks at it that way in the corporate sense that when we, when we sin, when we violate the Word of God, it, it doesn't matter. We're guilty of everything. But in this instance, David understood mercy, so he had no trouble giving it to somebody else. You see, here, here's what I want us to get from this. When you appreciate what God has extended to you, you have little trouble extending it to others. You see, uh, in fact, let's look at the Apostle Paul, for instance. I I think uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus uh, this verse, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Why do you think Paul wrote that? Well, maybe because he was there where they murdered Stephen. He realized, I'm a benefactor of God's mercy. And so I know that God is a huge giver of mercy. Sometimes we say, well, he's rich in this, or he's loaded in this, and maybe this is his, he's in the oil business, or he's in in livestock, or he's in the tech business, or he's in this, or whatever it might be. He made his money in in this. But, But Paul says about God, he's loaded in mercy. Now, we also know he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, wealth in every mine. But he said, one thing that he has an abundance of is mercy. Why would Paul say that? Because I've been getting it all my life. So why is it important to understand that? Because there'll be opportunities in your life right in front of you where those who've wronged, wounded, or maligned you, and you'll have a choice, mercy or judgment. Nobody, humanly speaking, would have argued if David had told either of his men, take his life. Nobody. And in hindsight, we'd have looked back and said, man, he tried to kill him at supper. He sent 3,000 men, outnumbering him by almost 10 to 1. It's understandable. He was literally coming for his life. It was self-defense. And most people would have understood the argument. But not David. 
David said, I see mercy. I feel mercy. It is, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions, they fail not. The more you and I as God's children understand mercy, the less we'll want justice for others. Think about that for a moment. It's not that we don't want God to to do what God wants to do, but boy, I, I look at where I could be were it not for God's grace and mercy. I'll be honest with you, I, 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 was, I was standing there getting ready to preach Friday night, and I don't, I don't know if, if anybody there has ever even heard me preach, but I'm standing there and I, I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I, really? They probably thought that after I preached, I don't know. But I, I'm standing there literally thinking, how in the world did God let me do this? I really, because I'll be honest with you, I'm a sinner, 57 years of practice. And, and every single day of my life, I have benefited from mercy. Every day. Now, it's very easy to say, well, they've wronged me. I hope they get what's coming to them. That's a typical human reaction. That's the normal response. And most people would say, I hear you, brother. That was terrible. That was wrong. He should have never done that. She should have never done that. He should have never said this. And, and we, we build up this huge list. And then we realize the moment we step into the presence of God and we say, mercy. There's a song. I, I don't know that we've ever sung it here. My wife and girls would remember it. Justice called and mercy answered. And I, I, I know we, we sung it in the South some. But I love that song and I love that thought behind it. Because it says, when justice called, mercy answered. And that's exactly what you got. The moment you trusted Christ, it should have been judgment. It should have been wrath. It should have been hell for all eternity. And all of a sudden, mercy stepped in. Wait, wait, wait. I got this. This one's mine. God, robed in flesh, Jesus Christ said, I'll take her sin. I already, already got it. She, she already gave it to me. It's, put that on me. Oh, his? Yeah, I, I've got his too. Hers? Oh, yeah, all of it. All of it. Just, just, just put it upon me. I give mercy, not justice. So I, I think the first thing that we see, and by the way, <clears throat> Matthew wrote, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You want mercy tomorrow? Give some today. You know, it's a crazy thing. It's, in fact, it's... It's peculiar because mercy is something you can give and never run out. There's a lot of things you don't want to give because, you know, it's run out of that, you know. You know, it's kind of like opening your wallet sometime and you, you got any? No, it's, uh, it's, these guys are kind of lonely in here, you know. But not with mercy. You might be the, the last slice of pizza, you know, and you're, all, you're sitting there saying, who gets this? Well, you know, I, I don't know. But not with mercy. With mercy... Let me ask you a simple question. It, it, this, is, this, this is not profound. Do you want God's mercy? Well, that's, that's a no-brainer, Pastor. Of course I want God's mercy. Then extend it to others. 
I'm not, I'm not making this up. Blessed are the merciful. You know what merciful literally means? It means they're, here's another southern expression, they're eat up with it. Nobody here probably knows what I'm talking about when I say that. We use eat up. If somebody's eat up with something, it means they're filled with it. They're running over with it. So what God says is, you are so full of mercy that everybody around, it spills over on them. You don't have a vengeful bone in your body. You're not thinking about somebody getting what's coming to them. You're just praying they get mercy. You know, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, guys like Saddam Hussein and al-Baghdadi and the guy that was, that was, that was taken out with the drone attack, and I, I understand. I'm not getting in the political arena or spectrum. I, I realize they've done atrocious deeds, and I understand from a political perspective, a military sp- perspective, that, that certain people have to make calls for, for the safety of our country and our troops and all that, and I to- totally support that. Don't misunderstand me. But when I hear of their passing, my first thought, and it's not because I, I'm I probably, I, my first thought is they probably went out to eternity without God. That's my first thought. I, and I don't want to ever get to the, I'm not saying that something should not have been done or done differently. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I support our military. I, I love our troops. And, and when you see them, thank them. You, you know that. You know that about me. But I am saying that as a child of God, we should never take the position where our first thought is not anything other than mercy. Why? Because I want it tomorrow. Before I pillow my head tonight, I want mercy. And so the, the first thing, I think we find about David is that David understood it. Then uh, the second thought is this, and, and we're not going to get too much farther, maybe, maybe one more point, but we spent a lot of time in intro and laying the groundwork. And that is this, David was more concerned with pleasing God than man. Everybody around him, think about this, everybody around him was begging him, oh, take the shot. Take this guy out. Everybody around him. Now, one reason is they were for David. I mean, think about the 400 guys who were there. And among them, some would become David's mighty men. But here they are. David, we're for you. We're on your side. We, we, are, we have invested everything in you, and we're with you till the very end. Take this guy out. In fact, if you won't do it, let me do it. David had, had 400 of the most devoted men on the planet to a single guy right here. They, they were with David completely, lock, stock, and barrel. They were. And David still, under all that pressure, realized there was one person he had to please. That, that is what you call the utmost respect for God's word, God's will, and God's way. It didn't matter whether it was popular. It didn't matter where everybody, man, that makes, I guarantee you. Hey, listen, come on. If we're in that cave and we're running with David, I, I don't know about you, but I, I would imagine some of you guys in here, you're ticked off right now because he didn't take him out. Come on now, don't look at me like that. Some of you think, man, you just missed your chance. I'm not saying you're not spiritual. I'm saying you're pretty reasonable, pretty rational. I, I get it, I get it. 
But David was a man after God's own heart, and I think one of the reasons was not only did he understand mercy because it had been extended to him, but the second thing is, I've got one job in life, and that's pleasing him. I don't don't have to worry about if if it makes sense to anyone else, if anyone else approves, if anyone else is happy. I don't have to to question that. I don't go through my my day trying to figure out, well, what do they think? You know, I got got these 400 guys, And, and by the way, there weren't a whole lot on the outside that were necessarily running to join. At this point, David's still on the run. He, he's a guy without a kingdom. And so what David did was this. You, you see, here, in fact, I'm going to finish with this. What David did, see, here's the thing. David, for most people, it would have said, God's deliverance is right in front of you. But that wasn't God's deliverance. Sure looked like it, but we know that it wasn't because God rewards David for this. But in this moment, it seems like, yes, God has heard my prayer, and this is the answer. You know, sometimes when it's right in front of you and you have the opportunity to launch that barrage of words about this person who's wronged you, and you think, yes, this is an open door, or, or you think, yes, I have, I have an opportunity to rejoice in their demise, and so, yes, this is, exact, this is God going to bat on my behalf. Everybody would have said, God just delivered it. In fact, they use that terminology, God has now delivered your enemy into your hand. But even though they were David's best buds, They misread the entire situation. You know what that says to us? That sometimes those closest to you will misinterpret God's will in your life. This makes total sense. Kill him. But but he understood mercy and he knew what it meant to please God. You know what David did? He let all of his men know who he was serving. You know, there's a, there's a statement we hear from time to time, and it's passed with flying colors. And that is a nautical term, because during the days, particularly of piracy on the seas, now we still have some of that in remote parts of the, the world and places that are a little more isolated, but it was incumbent upon a ship to hoist their colors. But what would happen many times is pirates would lie about the company under which they were flying. The company, if it were a trading company, or the country. And so many times pirate ships would carry multiple flags. And they did that so as to conceal who they really were. But they said as you got closer to a vessel, you could tell their true colors. So we use that expression sometimes, oh, you're seeing his true colors. He passes with flying colors. So when David says, I identify with God because I've experienced mercy and I want everybody to get it, he showed his men and all of us today who he really lined up with. Say, why is that significant? Here's why, and I'm done. Because every time you have an opportunity to get back at those who've wounded and wronged, you then, in that moment, 
show your true colors. Say, Pastor, are you saying I'm wrong? No. I'm just saying in this moment, everybody knew whose flag David was flying under. There was no question. Was he going to do everything right? No, no. But they knew, make no mistake about it, he was under the banner of the Lord. And as you go through life, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to jump back, take out, dismiss, demean everybody who's ever wronged you. And by the way, don't start keeping records because you'll keep a long ledger and only hope and pray that people aren't keeping the same ledger about you because we're sinners and we're going to mess up, we're going to do wrong, we're going to sin, we're going to fail. But I don't know about you, but I want mercy today, tomorrow, and every day. So with God's help, I want to just try to give it. And what if you get wronged? Yeah, that's happened. And I have wronged. And I'm grateful for everyone who has ever extended mercy to this guy. Because I'm most grateful for the fact that God has been a giver of mercy to me. Mercy for my enemies. That's what David